Today on the show, we discuss the Jedi, the Inquisitors, and the dark parallels drawn between them in Jedi Fallen Order. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Connor. And today we have a very, very special episode. Yes, indeed. I'm very excited. Today we're talking about Jedi Fallen Order, probably my favorite game of 2019. And the best thing that EA has ever done with the Star Wars fan- franchise outside of, uh, you know, fixing Battlefronts. Yeah, I, yeah. Give him credit for fixing <laughs> Battlefront Two, but also major props for this game because honestly, it is packed with uh, just really cool stories, really interesting characters, and such a grand adventure that I just want more. Yeah, you know, I beat it a little while ago, and I just want more. But there's a lot to sink our teeth into here. Exactly. It's. Um, I think that one of my favorite parts of this game is the fact that it poses some questions that you know. Star Wars fans, as they mature, they they begin to have like when you start to look at like you know the the uh, Phantom Menace trilogy and seeing how you know Jedi come to be from from Padawan all the way up to Jedi Master and like how the Sith function. Um, and I feel like this starts this game starts to answer the hard questions about Force sensitive users and the sides that they align with. Absolutely. It, it paints a few shades of gray uh, in the grand tapestry that is the era between episodes three and four, where you had Order 66 come down. The Jedi Order is wiped out. Uh, survivors are on the run in hiding. Maybe some of them are brave enough to fight back. And the entire time, the Empire is turning the Jedi against themselves, really. They're turning Force users against themselves by creating these legendary and widely feared for good reason uh, individuals known as the Inquisitors. And the Inquisitors play an important part in this game. You might also be aware of them from the Rebels cartoon, but they, um, they're they a driving conflict in this game, and they, they have some really interesting history behind them. And the way they relate to the Jedi themselves is uh, uh, pretty intriguing. It's kind of dark, actually. This is <laughs> this is one of the... the uh... I guess one of the real, like the most realistic parts of Star Wars, I feel like, and it's a it's something that we'll cover later in the episode. Uh, but the whole concept of uh, like reeducation, yeah, and uh, indoctrination and reeducation, in in some ways, they're almost like two sides of a coin. And what we're what we're hoping to break down here today on the episode is the relationship between how the Jedi indoctrinated their members and how the inquisitors were created through re-education so let's uh dive into it uh, i i guess first of all let's um start with the basics let's uh, introduce cal kestis the uh, main character of jedi fallen order the uh, ginger jedi the, the ginger yeah <laughs> the ginger jedi himself uh played by cameron monaghan uh amazing young actor cal kestis had um like many Jedi his age, a very rough childhood. And uh, that childhood was made 
very difficult by Order 66, as we mentioned. Cal Kestis uh, watched his master, uh, Jaro Tapal, die in front of him. And um, he hid for years on a backwater planet until the Inquisitors found him. And he joined up with a former Jedi master named Sierra Junda. And they kind of shared a common goal of, you know, fighting back against the Empire, staying alive, restoring the Jedi Order. That was kind of the the overall goal that these two share is they both yearn for a return to the past. They want to return to normalcy. They want their lives back. And in order to have their lives back, they need the Jedi Order back. Exactly. And I think it's good to, uh, like you, you touched on, like, you know, Cal watched his master die, and then he kind of went into hiding, which is, it's it's an important part of this episode. We'll cover later on. Um, you know, he's still very, uh, he's still very, I'd, I'd say, immature at the beginning of the story. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, doubt and even and some fear in him. But the uh, the journey itself takes him to you know several planets around the galaxy, mostly in pursuit of a Jedi holocron, which contains the identities and locations of a group of Force sensitive children that the Empire does not know about. Now, Sir Junda kind of brings this task to Cal and basically says, "I need your help with this." the 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 task is find these children, uh, round them up train them as Jedi, and then basically the Jedi Order will be reborn. That's the surface level of the quest. But the unspoken subtext of this, right underneath that, is Seer kind of has the intention, and Cal by extension by helping her, she has the intention to basically train these young Jedi to become warriors in a way, in a fight against the Empire. She's almost kind of trying to build an army in some respect. Right. And it's it's funny because, it, or I guess I, I guess a good thing to mention about this is the reason why any of any of them know about the Jedi Holocron in the first place is because the the identities of these four sensitive users became apparent to Sears' master, Eno Cordova, once he had a he had a vision inside of a Zepho temple of four sensitive users, and he also had a vision of um, the uh, fall of the Jedi. And attempted right. to warn, like the Jedi Council, who dismissed his vision. So he just he recorded, you know, he he documented these four sensitive users. But Eno Cordova was also um, a very like peaceful, stoic Jedi. He was more interested in research. I don't think he really liked violence. So it's an interesting fact because. Um, there's a, there's definitely a difference in, um, like how he lived his life and his ultimate goals and his final vision and like, you know, documenting these children and then what Sayers is doing and how she's influencing Cal. Right. Yeah. It all carries forward. And, um, some quick context, the Zepho you mentioned, um, they, like you said, yeah, they were an ancient race of very, very powerful force users, uh, that basically disappeared but the the clues they left behind led cordova to sort of look inward and he tried to learn from them the zepho fell as a civilization because they got too proud they sought more and more power they collapsed from within there was infighting they more or less went extinct the surviving members went into hiding 
in the space beyond the galaxy. And Cordova started to, you know, as he's researching Zepho history, he's starting to see the same thing may be happening to the Jedi soon. And I need to do something to either avert it or ensure that there can still be a Jedi order afterwards. Uh, and like you said, yeah, he wasn't taken seriously <laughs> because, uh, he was a scholar, not a soldier, and had no interest in the Clone Wars. So everyone thought he was just lazy, maybe, and <laughs> he just was sitting out the war. But uh, he was right. And we mentioned uh, the the goal of gathering a new generation of Jedi to fight back against the Empire. But in a way that really just continues this history of Jedi indoctrination, just kind of turning them into not individuals but parts of a organization that has its own goals and. Yeah sort of following down the same road to ruin that the Zepho had. There's, there are two interesting parts. There, there are some things that this game brings up that are interesting that we're, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to recruiting these, these children um, in the game, like you said, it's almost very un-Jedi like, but it's also disguised in the, uh, it's disguised as, as reviving the Jedi order, but like really it's not reviving the Jedi order. It's having more arms in the Jedi Order to fight against the Empire because, like, at this point, we're past the Purge, so the mostly the Jedi are suspect they're either just completely they're wiped out, or any remnants are just like in hiding, right? So, living like, secret lives, yeah, right. So, this is an attempt to, in quotes, like you know, bring back the Jedi, but it's it's not really. It's more of like bringing back bringing four sensitive users to fight on behalf of the Jedi. And that speaks again to this indoctrination we've been sort of tying into or leading up to um, the Jedi for all their merits. And, you know, I'm a fan of the Jedi Lawrence. I know you're not necessarily <laughs> as much as me, but um, for, for all the things I love about them, I'm 100% capable of acknowledging that. Yeah. Around that time of the great purge, they were missing a lot of the writing on the wall that might have warned them of what was coming and they weren't looking inward enough. They were looking outward too much. And that's kind of what Cordova's point was, but moving on to the inquisitors we've mentioned sort of the flip side of the indoctrination coin. We have the inquisitors who are created not necessarily through indoctrination, but through re-education. I think we've made a quick mention earlier to how inquisitors come about generally, as far as I understand it, inquisitors are usually captured Jedi who have been tortured, uh, reprogrammed, brainwashed into becoming instruments of the dark side. Uh, well, dark side secondarily, but firstly, instruments of the Empire. And they normally carry out their purpose by hunting down renegade Jedi. So it's very twisted in a way. You, you take a refugee Jedi or you take a Jedi who survived the purge and you make them hunt down and kill others like them. It's a very it's a very dark mirror of that indoctrination theme we've we've discussed. Yes. It's interesting how they do it. It's it's almost seems like like the reason one of the reasons why they're able to turn the Jedi to the dark side is just because I guess the training or lack thereof training of the Jedi order like it's, it's the fact that they're they're like secluding these people uh, you know, from they're they're removing any connection. You know, the Jedi are, have been purged. They're dead. You're the only person left. Like you're cut off. 
you see the power of the empire in front of you and there you know that there's nothing that you can do so you just succumb to the pool of the dark side yeah it's it's classic torture tactics or techniques uh creating a sense of helplessness removing all hope from the subject so they have no choice but to tell you what you want to hear or do what you want to do and that's an interesting point Lawrence. i didn't think of that but like it's first and foremost you make the subject fall to the dark side and then once they once they're there, once they're in that low place, you build them back up into an Inquisitor. And that's exactly what happened to one of the major antagonists of Fallen Order, uh, someone named the Second Sister, who partway through the game, we find out is in fact Seer's former Padawan, a young lady named Trilla, who was, like we mentioned, tortured, programmed, and turned into a ruthless hunter of Jedi survivors. And... Cal fights her on a couple of occasions, and she's a difficult boss. But we we find out these personal motivations behind her story. She's not just a she's not just a stock villain who does what she does because it's you know it's fun for her. <laughs> There's a personal motivation behind what she does. Yeah, she she uh she even mentions that once she learns about the holocron, uh, she mentions that like it's a, something that'll put her in favor um with the emperor she's still trying she's trying to uh fall in the good graces of the emperor emperor she's like trying to be acknowledged for her skill somehow so like there's still that that um whole like concept of loneliness or or you know like being lost she still seeks favor for for what she does and she works hard for it that's a, yeah that's a great point and I think part of what motivates her to seek that acknowledgement and that that ambition that she has, it's born out of that place of helplessness that was created when she was first captured. You learn through the course of the game that when Seer was captured, she was tortured. Uh, she was basically forced to turn over information on her Padawans and the, the, the young Jedi that were under her protection. They broke her, made her admit, like basically give them the location of the Padawans she was protecting, and they were all captured, including Trilla. And they were able to turn Trilla very easily when they told her, hey, your master sold you out. Your master told us where to find you. She broke under pressure. So when Seer sees and understands what has happened to Trilla because she, you know, for lack of a better word, failed, she failed her Padawans. And as a result, Seer fell to the dark side herself. She, well, dipped into it. She escaped using dark powers and after that through the guilt of letting down her padawan and the guilt of using the dark side she shunned the force entirely she decided to just walk away from all of her teachings and just become a uh, force neutral individual yeah Inqui inquisitors don't have that option seer could just walk away from what she is but inquisitors can't they they can't unlearn what was branded into them they were just changed transformed on a fundamental level and seer i i think like seer was was close to becoming an inquisitor um she just i think it was just because she was able to escape so she was able to you know to like you said have that choice to be able to cut herself off from the force mm -hmm. but you know she was she was very close um i think the trauma of seeing you know seeing her own failures, like how, you know, Trilla turned to the dark side. 
um, how she wasn't able to do anything to prevent the capture of her Padawan and, you know, other Force-sensitive users. Um, she mentioned at the beginning of the game, like, you know, she had an experience and it scared her. And I think what scared her was that pool, the strong pool, the dark side, and how close she was to, like, kind of, kind of you know, losing that choice or losing that control. And she still was able to exercise some form of control over herself by choosing to just walk away from it all. Right. And that, 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 that theme of choice versus control, we'll get into a bit more in depth um, in a bit here. But uh, one last point about the Inquisitors. We, we also had, uh, Lawrence, I think you and I agreed that um, this next character was one of the most dynamic and yes, just, uh, just awe-inspiring parts of the game. Uh, this character is called the Ninth Sister. And she's another Inquisitor that you fight throughout the course of the game. And, oh, yeah. oh man, it's so cool. The, the confrontation that Cal has with her, you, you not only just get a really awesome fight scene and some really cool dialogue, but you get a little bit more of a glimpse into what it's like to become an Inquisitor and how your mind changes, how that re-education really takes hold. The Ninth Sister, honestly, is probably my favorite part of the game because... Yeah, you you get the like the full scope of what happens when you become an inquisitor, like just the whole terrible just shit that they put you through. But the best part is they don't even uh get that across through uh you know a ton of dialogue. It's not bloated with this whole exposition of this is what happened to me and this is how I felt about it. It was very uh action driven and concise. Yeah. So in the fight, Cal disarms the ninth sister, cuts one of her uh hands off. And he thinks the fight's over, you know, stand down, you're done. And the ninth sister says one of my favorite lines in the game, probably my favorite line in the game. Uh, she says, um, being inquisitor taught me that no setback is too great. When you've lost yourself, a limb is easy. And she's not even phased by this smoldering burnt stump of an arm that she's now holding up and using to, uh, force manipulate her lightsaber to attack Cal some more. It was, so badass but you also learned so much like she said you lose yourself you you no longer exist as you once did and you've you were beaten down emptied out and then filled back up with what the empire wanted you to be and there's a there's a good audio clip too that we'll put right here that explains the entire thing it's over Being an Inquisitor taught me no setback is too great. When you've already lost yourself, a limb's easy. You know, I was a Jedi. It'd be fun to bring you in. Watch you crack like the rest of us! Oh, angers you. Just wait till the isolation, torture, mutilation, and your threats! I won't let you touch them! You can't stop the Empire! I can stop you. And I think one of the things that's interesting about the audio clip that we just played, uh, the line about um, just, like, there's no stopping the Empire. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, how excited the Ninth Sister was to bring Cal in so so that he could be broken. Right. He could go through what she did. She was like yeah. just overjoyed. She was uh, excited to share that pain with him. Right. And like, it's just like, you could even tell in her voice when she was like fighting back, like 
the loneliness, the, you know, the darkness, the, the, the mutilation. Pain. Yeah. Like everything. It's just like, there's that like overwhelming trauma. Like there's no stopping the dark side. There's only joining the dark side. Right. That's how thoroughly she was remade and reeducated. She, she bought into it. She believed it 100%. And that's really tragic. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Lore Party listeners. My name's Abu, and I'm a producer here on the network. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about Winds Howling, our podcast all about the Witcher TV show on Netflix. I don't know about you, but I love listening to podcasts about my favorite TV shows. It's great to listen to other people who are just as excited about a show as I am. These podcasts give me new perspective and a greater appreciation for the show I already enjoy. So that's where Winds Howling comes in. My co-host Brett and I love The Witcher, and we want Winds Howling to be your companion podcast to the Netflix show. We'll be diving deep into every single episode of the TV show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. And don't worry, the podcast is accessible to both longtime Witcher fans and newcomers. You can find Winds Howling on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everything in between. If you want to learn more, visit loreparty.com. I hope to see you on the path. As we've discussed, we all know that the Jedi in general are trained and educated extensively throughout their lives for, uh, for the goal of mastering themselves in the Force. They're not built to be soldiers, um, but in times of crisis, they are called on to do so, to, do, to serve that role. But their main goal is to just be at peace with themselves, be in, you know, practice harmony in the Force, master themselves, and live in harmony with the Force. The Inquisitors are a very, very much a dark mirror of that. They have that dedication, uh, that same dedication to a goal, that same dedication to mastery, and it's twisted and perverted in many ways and turned into a living weapon. And as we discussed, the goal of recruiting a new generation of Jedi, basically for the explicit purpose of fighting the Empire, I'm not seeing how it's that different. You know what I mean? Right. You know, finding kids specifically so you can have them fight the Empire with you, it's its kind of in the same ballpark. So it's a frightening similarity. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I've had I've had this, uh, you know, argument before with you and with <laughs> yeah. uh, with Jaden. Yep. Um, I think part of the reason is the whole indoctrination process of Jedi. I mean, when you look at it. Uh, Jedi take young children who really have no life experience, who are uh, like mentally open to the teachings of the Jedi, and they strictly shun older children. Like, you know, Anakin Skywalker was technically considered too old, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the reasons why is because, well, the way they justify it is they say that like someone with connection like you know those those types of emotions those established emotions from living in normal society is probably more susceptible to the dark side but it also is because like let's be honest if you don't know how civilization is then you're not going to complain about the jedi order and and like you know some of their principles and some of their rules that kind of 
not are they're not shunned in society. It's just like, you know, hey, I want to get married. I want to experience life. I want to have real emotions because like that's just part of being a living creature. Like some of those things are are shunned by by Jedi. And I think like, you know, you're telling people to let go but not understand like, some of these more like some of these more like mature and negative feelings. So when you're confronted with like this great darkness, you like you don't you're not really equipped to do anything like you can let go of your anger, but you really can't let go of like the anger and the, you know, the negative feelings if you're being tortured. Yeah. By your enemy. Right. It's (laughs) yeah. Training Jedi, I guess the theory is that it works best when you're starting with a with a blank slate. Um, But in this specific instance, when we're looking at what Cal and Sarah want to do, they are more like, well, Cal's a young adult, but they are both adult people. They have agency. They have the ability to make their own decisions. And knowing that they both choose to continue fighting the empire. That's, that's the path they set in front of themselves. Yeah. But these force sensitive children that we you know, know nothing about other than the fact that they are potential Jedi and they're, located in this holocron or the you know directions to them are in this holocron other than that we don't know anything about them so even though cal and sarah they have they have every right to choose their path and choose to fight the empire but recruiting these kids would basically mean asserting control over them yes uh, choosing a path for them and making turning them from innocent bystanders into participants uh who will become targets. If if you leave them alone, they'll be spared from the conflict. They won't be in danger. Which honestly is why like I I love that they included a night sister and in, into your party in the game. Yes. Um, yeah, sister Marin, yeah. Yeah, who is who is um who you know experienced the death of her people uh and who hid away. So this is a one of those lost children who grew up you know, without uh, completely understanding or knowing, like the the older adults of her civilization, mm-hmm. like she provided that good perspective because that was the thing that she brought up. Like, you know, these children, you're you're attempting to end the conflict by recruiting these children who weren't in danger until you interfered, and I, I think it, it provided a little bit of balance because. While Cal and Seer are both adults, Cal is immature and Seer is almost misguided because of her experiences. Yeah. And luckily for Cal and for everyone involved, really, he has such a journey of personal growth that he avoids perpetuating the indoctrination at the end of the game. So he has such a journey. He goes through, you know, all these trials and quests he you know planet hops he learns about the history of the zepho through you know cordova's findings he meets night sister marin like you mentioned kind of learns from her and gets her perspective combines all of that with what he's heard from sarah so far what she's gone through he makes peace with the fact that his master you know gave his life to save his he kind of reconnects himself to the force he's gone through so much over the course of the game that that by the end i think you mentioned he's immature he starts out immature because of what he's been through and he's been stunted right but by the end of the game he's grown so much that he realizes the uh, cost 
of recruiting these these children as Jedi because it would be putting them in danger. He actually has a Force vision, in fact, kind of seeing the future, seeing what would happen, or at least a possible future. The uh, This new order that he wants to build, it could be attacked. It could be overrun. He could be captured. He could be turned into an Inquisitor. He could kill the Padawans he's, he wants to protect. All these things could go wrong, so he makes the really fateful decision at the end of the game to destroy the Holocron, not use it. He basically zero-sums the game. He doesn't win it, but he doesn't lose it either because the, these kids are going to stay out of the reach of the Empire forever because he's not going to use them as soldiers and they're not going to use them as Inquisitors. Well, that about wraps it up. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us to grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. EA, please make another one of these games. And, Keep them uh, coming. Yes, and don't, uh, don't add a loot crate. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You learned your lesson on that one, I hope. Yes. Uh, but I want to ask the audience, uh, what did you think of the story of uh, Jedi Fallen Order? What did you think of the the way the Inquisitors were portrayed, the way the Jedi were portrayed, um, the fateful decision Cal and Sarah made, uh, let us know. Reach out, and uh, we'll rap about it. Yes. Like for uh, Jedi indoctrination, retweet for Inquisitor re-education. <laughs> That's right.